No, it's not the Rush Limbaugh show. It's the news, according to me. Well, good morning. It is, uh, just, I don't want to confuse you guys. It is Wednesday morning, and no, this is not a live broadcast. I, had, uh, I have just had too much going on with my sinuses this morning. I, my voice was terrible. I, it's, and, it's, I, and I actually, believe it or not, I think I'm actually kind of getting over this thing, but it's, it was just my voice was just messed up. And you can still tell probably there's a little bit of a rasp to my voice this morning. It's just, uh, however, I think I had a little bit of a fever last night. And uh, it kind of broke, and that's, it's, it's been good. I, I was able to sleep this morning for quite a while, so that was helpful. However, it is, uh, it is Wednesday morning. It is Wednesday. Still, still, well, it's, just, it's just 12 o'clock on Wednesday, uh, September 27th, 2023, at 12.03, which is about the time Rush Limbaugh would usually come on, which is why I played his show this morning, just in, out of respect for him, out of honor for the for the awesome one that he was <clears throat> um, in the world of broadcasting. He, he did a, a lot, I think, for uh, conservative talk and for just for the, the in general, just the uh, standing up for the, for the republic, I think, under, helping people. He, he educated a lot of people on what, what the founders taught, what the founders uh, did, I think, and what, what the country was about. I think that Rush probably at one time was more of a, uh, probably would have been, you know, I think there were some, some points where he probably had to make some decisions about whether he went with the traditional establishment Republicans and, you know, staying firm with his principles on conservatism. And I think that at, the, at some point, I think he saw the, the, the shift in the party. He never, he never really talked about it much. Um, he did talk about it a little bit, but it, he, I think he was always trying to be careful about disowning any of them, uh, namely, I think, to try to win them back, uh, trying, to, trying to steer the party in the right direction. And I think, I think that's probably what, you know, I always noticed he never endorsed a candidate until the candidate was running. He wouldn't, he wouldn't endorse it. Like at this point in the, in the, in the race, he would not come out and endorse Trump. He might say something about, well, you know, it'd be very, very difficult to unseat Trump from the nominee position right now. He might, he might say something like that, but he wouldn't endorse a, a candidate. And I, I thought that was very um, wise of him to do that. That was, he understood that if he was seen as being someone who came out and endorsed, now he would talk about the candidates. Uh, he was. He talked about uh, Ted Cruz when Ted Cruz was running against Trump in 2016. He um, he he would talk about Ted. Ted he was very respectful for, for, to both people. He he was he was trying to be very careful about not bad mouthing Ted in case Ted became the nominee. And I and I see this happening a little bit in both parties. They, they'll. Of course, you know, the, the Democrats get away with this all the time. They will go through a, a rigorous and vicious primary process. Look at Kamala Harris. What's the things she said to Joe Biden on the stage? I was that girl. 
just, just, and then she turns out to be the VP nominee. Now, now, if you think that that was done because they got along, you're wrong. That was someone behind the scenes was making that decision. Speaking of speaking of the Democrat Party, <clears throat> there was a um, it was interesting that there is now becoming a, a, a I think people are starting to notice this the word democratic. They're actually making distinctions about well our democratic system, not to be confused with the Democratic Party. It's not the Democratic Party. It's the Democrat Party. And it's, I think they're starting to notice this difference, this, this little – it's just a subtle thing that they've changed about their, when they get called a Democratic candidate, Democratic this, Democratic that, because we're Democratic, Democratic Socialism. I'm trying to incorporate that word because it, it's, it's something that people want to identify with because we do have a democratic process that, that selects or elects our leaders, our representatives to represent us in our defense against the government control, which, which is exactly what the – that's what the founders intended. They, they intended us to have representatives that represented our rights as individuals, not to lord over us in, in groups, to, to group us into cattle-type groups and, and caste systems and that kind of thing. It's, it's in that, but that's what it's become. And I don't have any real, like, super, like, big news stories to go over today. No, there's there's a Bob Menendez thing. Uh, Matt Walsh had a really good report on uh, what it, what's called uh, jury nullification. Very good. It was a really – it was powerful. Um, I, I like it when he gets off on some of these other, other subjects about politics sometimes. Um, he does a very good job of explaining some things. He does a good job with the whole, the whole transgender movement thing and all that, all the stuff about kids and women and gender stuff. But I really appreciate um, when he gets off on on subjects like this jury nullification thing because it was it, it was there was a powerful story in Ohio, I think it was Ohio, that he talked about that I th- I thought was just spot on, very good stuff, and he. Um, Allegedly, this is how the story goes. He, there, was this, there was this kid who, there were some kids who kind of egged each other on. It was like a challenge type thing where he goes up to a little, that's an outdoor park basketball court, I guess, of some kind. And these kids uh, were, were playing basketball. And this, this kid comes up with a little, it's a little gun that shoots little water pellets type thing. I guess you soak them in water and it absorbs the water, and then you shoot, shoot them at somebody, and then it, it pops, I guess, and it splatters water all over somebody. But it's, a, it's an obvious toy gun. It's like, it's a, it's like a yellow-colored gun thing with like a little – I guess I think it might be electrical-powered. I'm not sure. And it's <clears> – <throat> you know, you just, you just push the button, and I think it rapid-fires these little pellets. And so this guy comes up to the, to the basketball court and starts popping them with it. Of course, they, they all run away thinking they're getting shot. And they realize it's just water. They come running after the kid. They, uh, he gets to his car, I guess. I'm not sure how the whole incident happened, but um, the, they, they basically killed him. They beat him to death and then stole his car. Police showed up and uh, the description of the wounds, it was, it was just a, a thorough, he literally was beaten to death. 
uh, I think he was a maybe an 18-year-old kid, something like that, 17 or 18-year-old kid, probably a high school kid. Uh, now, I don't have to, I'm not going to tell you what the ethnic uh, color of their skin, we want to call it, I guess, I'd, of these kids playing basketball was. I'll let you figure that on your own. I'll let you fill in the blanks on that. They went to court. And they were uh, initially charged with murder. That was changed and reduced. <clears throat> and then the, uh, they ended up just being accused of assault. That, that, that was it. No car theft. No murder charges, not even manslaughter charges. They had the charges reduced initially to manslaughter, uh, involuntary manslaughter. Uh, they were volunteering. They, they, they didn't, they, and the, the argument of their lawyer was that they were afraid for their lives, which is why they acted the way they did. Uh, at what point did you realize this was a toy gun? If it would have been a real gun, they, wouldn't, they would have been running. They would have kept, kept running because they were afraid for their lives. When they realized it was a toy and they weren't afraid for their lives anymore, they went back and punished the kid, took, took the law into their own hands, and killed him. The jury <clears throat> walked away from the incident basically saying, That he, uh, that, that they were, the kids were uh, excused, basically. The, jury, jury nullification is an interesting process. If a jury decides, the jury has more power than a judge in some cases. Now, judges can step in and they can override the jury, which you better, you better make sure that you're doing the right thing in that case, because that's, that is a very, you're on tedious ground if you do that. There's very few circumstances where, now I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a, Epidemiologist. I'm just a guy with chai in his cup with uh, Cinnabon creamer and with a backup cup. I do have a backup cup this morning. It's uh, sweet tea, my sweet tea, mixed with some Bellini peach raspberry tea from Olive Garden, mixed with something else, apple cider. And I have to say, uh, this, this is pretty tasty. That is... Uh, that is pretty tasty. It's got kind of a little bit of a tangy apple cider taste to it, but it's also got that peachy raspberry thing going on and the smoothness of my tea. It's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. <sighs> Somebody should bottle that stuff <clears throat> and sell it. So I, so they have this thing called jury nullification, which a, a jury can actually, if they don't like the law or if the law seems like it's um, not correct, they can literally throw the case out. And walk away and say, we know that he did this. This, this criminal did this, but we don't, believe that we don't believe the law is correct. We believe the law is unconstitutional or whatever it is. And we're, and we're throwing it out. And they can walk out of, the, out of the courtroom saying that. I know he committed this act, but we don't believe that the crime is that the, that the law is correct. And we're going to let him off because it's not a good law. And the guy was pushing buttons on a, on a soda machine. And he pushed them wrong and got, got you know, arrested for vandalism, whatever it is. I, it didn't, it's just, you never know. <clears throat> never know what, what's, you know, it's, 
I don't have any really good examples, I guess. But. So we have this, um, what's happening is this jury nullification thing. Now, now it's becoming the, one of the prosecutors, one of the prosecutors, this is somebody on the, the defense of this guy, the, the, the offense, I should say, the prosecution of these kids. A couple of them, a couple of the prosecutors said, no, these, these kids need to stay. They need to be charged with murder and maybe car theft. Another one uh, said, no, that's probably, that's probably a little harsh. It needs to be you know, reduced the charges. The other, two of them, or one, one of them, I think, decided that this was just hood justice and it should be, they should be, you know, should be excused for the whole thing. It's, it's hood justice. Folks, if, we, if we're getting to the point now where it is just nothing but tribal warfare, this happened in, I think it was in Chicago. Everything was caught on video. Two rival gangs just down the block from a, where some police officers were were shooting it out. Several people got killed within the gangs. No charges were filed, and they never went after them. Even though they know who the people were. It's just street justice. This is the kind of thing that happens in third worlds. And it is not the, the kind of thing that happens in a civilized society where you can feel safe about walking out with your, you know, on, the, on the sidewalk with your family after dark. Most of the big cities now that I go to and I, I used to travel a lot I, back in the 90s and, and, and even in the early 2000s, top, top of the century. I was, I was traveling a lot. And I never really felt, there was one time in Nashville where four guys with guns came after me. But that you know, one time, they didn't get anything from me. But they, there, there's this, there's this um, There's this mentality, and if you go to Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, this, I went to Lincoln, Nebraska, I think it was like in 2006, might have, been, might have been 2005, and you're out there, it's late at night, it's like 8 o'clock at night, summer, summertime, 8 o'clock at night, it was, it was still a little bit light out, but it was starting to get dark, just families walking down the street, kids, families, downtown, walking down the street, going to get ice cream, whatever. Nobody was concerned about getting robbed or rolled. It was just, a, it was like being in Mayberry. Now, I don't know if Lincoln, Nebraska is that way anymore or not. I don't, it's probably not, but. It, now, so, some people, for some reason, we just seem to accept this as being a normal progression. Well, it is the normal progression when you have progressive ideologies. This is considered reparations. Since, since a certain ethnic, ethnic group was <clears throat> overcharged for so long, for they, because they, you know, I think, what is it? So, it's a certain percentage of the population commits a certain percentage of the crimes. And among those crimes that are committed, of course, they, they say, well, it's the, the certain community is charged so many more times uh, for crimes than, than the other, you know, let's, let's put it this way. They're saying that the black community is 
sentenced to, to crimes far more than a white man. White, white people get away with crimes all the time. Black people don't. Um, uh, this, this is what they say. There is a, a certain philosophy, and I, and I think that it's, it's a, I, I, blame, I blame the left for this. I blame the leftist progressive mentality and ideology for this kind of thing. It is the racism of low expectations. It is this idea that someone owes you something that you've been, that you're a victim and you need to fight back. Or someone, you know, you're entitled to something someone else has. That person's rich because they stole it from you. We hear this when we hear the idea that that this, this nation was built by black people. The African slaves built this nation. Uh, it, it, this is statistically ridiculous. And they start adding up the number of man hours that were, that were garnered under slavery and how the black community owes, is owed this, you know, these trillions of dollars because of the, all the slavery that was, was done. They have, and they have 90 million slaves or whatever it was to come up with these numbers, working you know, 10, 12 hours a day or 16 hours a day for hundred years, whatever, whatever they, they come up with all this, these formulas and it's, they're owed, you know, in today's, today's dollars is $12 billion or 12, $12 trillion, whatever it is. And they want that money to be spread about, you know, the, uh, African-American community. That's, that's one guy, I can't, I don't know the guy's name. He's not, he's not, that's not Thomas Sowell, but he's kind of that, he's about the same age. He talks about how he said there were, I think there were, uh, 340 free slaves, th free black men. African-Americans, whatever you want to call them. I don't know what the term is, proper, proper description. I, I just, I, I would say they're just uh, people of color. I don't know, I don't know. And they owned slaves. So do their families need to pay rest, rep, reparations as well? This, this is where it gets really complicated when you start getting into this whole reparations thing. And I, and I hate, I hate, I hate even discussing it because I know some people are kind of really sensitive about some of this stuff. And I, I, I realize I can, st there's a lot of landmines you can step on when you start talking about this stuff, but you know, it's, it, it, it needs to be discussed openly. And, and, and maybe I'm wrong about some things. If you can show me where I'm wrong, I'm fine with that. Just let's go, you know, let's, let's just go toe to toe on this issue and discuss it. it just, but they're not interested in in solving any issues. And again, this comes back to this whole thing of forgiveness and what I, what I believe the only way there's going to be healing in this issue. But they don't want to go there. But they don't want, they're not interested in resolution. They're not interested in resolving the problem and getting past it, getting healing. They're not interested in that because they're making their money on this. The race baiters 
use it all the time as a cudgel, as a, as a hammer to beat the other side, to win the argument. All, all you have to do is say something. If I was, if I was at a discussion with someone and they, I, I just basically said, well, why is it this, this cold? You're a racist and, and you're, they just go right there. They just go right for that, that mark. And then now everything you say, you can no longer do or say anything else that's, that has any kind of positive influence. They're, they're, who's the guy? Was it the guy that does Dilbert? What was it? Uh, the cartoon guy? He was canceled. They started taking his, his cartoons off of every newspaper in the country. Because he basically came out and said, you know what? Uh, if you're around black people, just, just stop hanging around black people. And not, he wasn't trying to be, you know, he, he was because he was in a situation where I don't know what would happen to him, but he was just so frustrated that he just came out with this whole thing of, you know what, this is just ridiculous. And I, I would not have done what he did. I would not have said what he said. But I certainly feel his frustration. I understand his frustration. Because there's no, there's no discussion we can have about this. They've decided on their own. And, and I hear this. I hear this from some black people. Now, they'll, they'll deny that they act like this. They'll deny that they say this. But if you're a white person, you are, because you're white, you are racist. And if you don't think you're racist, it's because you have white privilege. It's because you're, you're now, the worst, there's something worse than a racist, and that's a racist who doesn't know they're a racist or won't admit that they're a racist. And of course, because you're white, you're racist because you have white privilege. What's the cure for that? <clears throat> now, I, I know that the majority of the black community does not have that ideology. I don't think. At least, at least the majority of people I, I talk to every day, they just, that's just not the case. But there are some vocal folks out there. And it, it, surprisingly, it's the higher their education, normally, the more they, you know, we have issues. There was a guy, I can't, boy, I, wish, I was going to talk about that. I was going to actually play some clips from this guy. I listened to him for about an hour. He was... He was going on about um, communication, and I think he's like a communication. He, he, he basically has really come out strongly talking against the, the woke movement thing and the whole everything that's happening right now with, with, on the left. And he, it was very, very good. He, he, I mean, he was having a discussion. He said, this is, this is where it breaks down, where people can't talk about it and, and have a discussion about certain things. He was diving right in. He was diving right into the conversation. And, and it was, but he had been, I think he had been canceled from his job. He was actually a professor at uh, a particular college place. where and he was, he was a, um, oh, that's what it was. He was the, um, what do they call, call it? Equity, equality, and something else, the, the ER, whatever they call it, EMI people or whatever, whatever it is. It, a lot of companies now have this person that's 
um, responsible for uh, relationships with, you know, racial relationship stuff. Companies, I can't remember what they call it. And uh, they have a, usually a three, it's a three letter alphabet soup thing that they call them. And it's, and it, this guy was one of those. And he's, he's kind of came out against some of the stuff that they were having them do. And of course he got canceled and got, got fired. He lost, lost his job because of, he was saying, this isn't, this isn't working. This isn't conducive to any kind of, you know, interaction between human beings. And he was fired for that. And so it was, it was very, um, but he, man, he was, he was sharp. I mean, the guy, the guy understood, he got it. And he saw the manipulation and the kind of you know, philosophy here that we're dealing with. And you know, this is the kind of guy I could hang out with all day long and talk about anything. That's just, that, that's just kind of the way, the way he came across. I could, could talk to this guy about anything tough and, you know, tough situations, tough uh, things to talk about in life. Um, I didn't get the impression he was trying to convince anybody of anything other than just, you know, he just wanted to make sure that we had, were able to have conversations. And it wasn't about being right or wrong. It was just about being able to communicate. And it was, man, it was, it was refreshing. It was to, to hear somebody talk about it. And this guy, guy wasn't really necessarily a, a right wing or conservative person, but he, he was obviously, and I even said he was starting to understand the conservative you know, viewpoint on some things. Now, <clears throat> He want, I think he wanted to stay away from politics altogether. But, that, but so we get back to this whole thing of jury, jury nullification. We get, and we get into this, you know, this philosophy, this ideology is starting to trickle over into, you know, how would you feel if your loved one was beaten to death by some people and they were excused because of the color that, the, this, well, it's, it's not racism because they're, they're entitled to it because of the way they were treated, treated for so long. Really? That's where we're going with this. Sorry, my, my, I have to keep pushing my, my cough button. I'm coughing through this whole thing. I don't think chai really helps a, uh, a sore throat very much, but, but it still tastes good. So I'm, I'm, it's just one of those things where we get into that whole thing. Now, having said that, let's, let's talk about the, the corruption on the other end of, of the spectrum. People like Bob Menendez. This is a very strange case. Now, I didn't realize Bob Menendez back in 2015, I think it was 2015, 2016. Of course, it was all overshadowed by the election season. But apparently he was accused of bribery and all kinds of things at that time. And I, I think this, I think it was his case, I believe. I'm not positive. I think it was his case that was... Uh, where someone else was charged with bribery and they, they discovered all these funds being, you know, shuffled back around and stuff, but he was never charged with anything. However, no, that was, that was a different case because Bob Menendez, he, he actually was, was charged with some things, went to court, DC court, of course. And of course he was acquitted of everything. Now at that time, Chris, because he was the Senator, I think in New Jersey, Chris Christie was the, was the governor and would then appoint another I think it was a Senate, Senate position. And the, the Republican, you want to call him that, governor at the time, would have been the guy who would have uh, appointed another senator. Of course, he would have appointed a, a, 
a, a much more conservative or uh, probably a Republican senator in that position. Well, they couldn't have that. So they acquitted him. The, 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 this deep state uh, protected him at that point. Well, now they have a Democrat governor in New Jersey. And I, I, so he's – they're safe with getting rid of Menendez. Now, if you read all the things that Menendez – now, he's – one of the things that they're, they're, they're finding here is that, oh, uh, Menendez happened to have a whole lot of cash. Almost five hundred thousand dollars in cash, four hundred and ninety some thousand dollars in cash, stored in his little hiding lock boxes and stuff, along with gold bars and all kinds of other things. Now, I'm all for people saving money. However, uh, this is uh, this is a little ridiculous. What this guy has, his, of course, his furnishings, his house. Obviously, you look at it and there's like there's no there's no way this guy could have, have this kind of money as a as a senator. You don't you don't make that much money. I mean, they make plenty. Don't get me wrong, but there's no way that they could um, afford to be st- stashing away three you know five hundred thousand dollars. Half a million dollars. Live in a posh home, couple homes, whatever, whatever it is. So for some reason, uh, he took somebody off. And there's, there's some people who are trying to figure it all out. <clears throat> I, I think I think they're using him as a scapegoat. I think, I think he's probably ticked off the wrong people throughout the years. Um, being the kind of person that he is, I would imagine he's probably really set off some people. And I wouldn't be surprised if Merrick Garland was one of those individuals. Um, <clears throat> there's... There are some ties that go back to a lot of people. Let's keep in mind, this guy's been in the Senate for 30 years. He has a lot of enemies. Uh, the feds have stuff on you, and then they, they, they go after you later on. That's how they, 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 if they don't have anything on you, they find something to get on you. They find somebody like a Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein. Now, apparently, he's had, he was having some flights down. He, he was also purchasing prostitutes and uh, providing prostitutes for somebody flying back and forth on somebody's airplane down to an island. And this is what, it wasn't Jeffrey Epstein. This is, this is another finding out another guy who's apparently much more under the radar who uh, basically was doing the same things that Epstein was. And you have to wonder how many of, the, how, how many of these guys are out there. Now, I know uh, in this area, there was a guy who was running for governor of my state Back when I was, I was trying to get as much flight time as I could get. This is back in the '90s, and there was a guy who owned an airplane, and I would happen to be happen to be certified on that airplane. I could, I was for, for insurance purposes, I could fly that airplane. Well, he would call me occasionally to fly this guy around. Well, the guy didn't, uh, he didn't win, didn't win governor, um, governorship, and probably a good thing they didn't. Um. There were some shady things going on, and I, I, I don't I, – I was never witness to anything that, that was bad. Uh, you know, the guy seemed to be on the up and up, but I just – here I am flying this guy around the state um, occasionally, about two or three times. 
And it just starts to remind me of the same kind of stuff that was going on that they were talking about with this whole, and I didn't, I didn't see any Epstein-esque type stuff going on, nothing like that. But this is the kind of thing that happens a lot. People will donate their airplane to their campaign or whatever and fly them around. Um, and then they're kind of beholden to them. <clears throat> now this guy, the guy who owned the airplane, eventually, he ended up be, being involved in some very high dollar investments in the state. Because a millionaire now. Um, it, it just, it just kind of makes you wonder how these people are, are tied and connected in with you know the big money and the stuff that's happening and flowing, whatever else is going on. Probably a lot more shady things going on than we realize. It's just the, you know if we understood what was happening, and I, I think that a lot of this happens under the. Of course, now you've got you know O'Connell. Who, who has anybody heard from O'Connell lately? Has anybody poked him with a stick and make sure he's still able to? speak, if he's still with us. Uh, Joe Biden is starting to crumble. Uh, speaking of, you know, it, Joe, Joe is, is really getting bad. He went, now, you know, during the debate, I think the debate is today. Is it, is it tonight? I think the debate's tonight. The Republican debate, which is not really a presidential debate. It's more of a, let's see who we can put in place just in case Trump loses. And uh, or something happens to him. The the what's interesting though. So I think Trump, brilliant move, is planning on speaking, having a rally for the UAW, the auto workers. Now Joe, they didn't show the crowds that were there for Joe. Joe showed up in Detroit, and he's got a megaphone, and you can't understand half what he says. He's just. You guys need more money and I'm with you on this and get better pay and better work rules. There you go. I think he spoke for 72 seconds. I think, I think like somebody actually timed that it. it was 72 or 78 seconds. I can't remember what it was. That's all he spoke. And I think then he stood up someplace at some kind of meeting, like an indoor meeting. Spoke. <clears throat> now he's out there. And of course, he gets done and you hear this thunderous applause with about 12 people clapping. And I think it was the same thing happened on the inside. He was, he was, and he basically said the same thing. Said exactly the same thing when he got inside. Spoke from a podium, like a luncheon type thing. And again, same thing. I think he spoke about 30 seconds. And then they flew away. Now, the reason he wanted to do that was to get a jump on Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump's going to have probably 30,000 employees show up at his, his event tonight. He's going to be speaking to the, or it's, it's tonight or tomorrow night. He's speaking to the uh, the folks there at the in Detroit UAW strike. It's Joe Biden's policies. If they, hopefully Trump points this out, it's Joe Biden's policies that are causing the issues with the auto industry right now, because the auto industry is in a free fall loop because of the the things that are being forced upon them. Now, what this is this is. Fascism, folks. This is this is communism. The, when the government can control and regulate production, when they have control of production, that is socialism. That is that is communism. It's not even it's not even socialism. It's common communism. And they basically control through regulation. They're they're basically saying. By 2030, you have to start producing all these electric vehicles. You have to have zero emission vehicles at that percentage. Right now, they have to present, uh, produce a certain percentage of zero emission vehicles. 
Their gas production, the gas, gas engine production, has to, has to be used in order to subsidize the elect, what they lose on electric vehicles. The, if, and when they do this, the Chinese are way ahead on this. Kind of, they're building these cheap little electric vehicles that they're going to ship over here. Now, my understanding is they're, they're basically, uh, the Chinese are, are producing them. It, it's, it's a really weird situation over there right now because the, the government's, the CCP is forcing these companies to produce these electric vehicles that have to produce a certain number of them. And they will, they'll produce them. And then what they do is they shuffle them off to a, a, a hole somewhere and they crush them because they, they don't want the CCP to know that there's no, that they're not selling them, but they're producing them. There's been some satellite recovery photos of these of like a couple hundred cars sitting in a lot somewhere and they're being hidden from it's really bizarre stuff. So there's that's what's going to happen here probably eventually. Now California, I think by 20 2026 or 2030 something somewhere in 2035 whatever it is, all vehicles sold in California will have to be electric cars, zero emission cars. And they don't have the grid for that. They, don't, they do not have the ability to do that. But that's what they're going to go to. Now, can you imagine people out who are out in, not, not just, that's fine in the cities. Okay, whatever, in the city, whatever. The, the people who live in rural areas who want to drive from one city to another or drive to town to get things or whatever, or have, you know, have to haul things in to those communities, they're going to be in trouble. My guess is as soon as you cross the state line to California, they're, they're going to start, they're going to probably tax you for, it's pretty hard, hard to find a gas station at, at some point. They'll start taxing them and start doing all kinds of weird things. They've already put, I think, a gun tax. I think it's a 20% sin tax on, on buying a gun in California. Something like that. I think they're, they're trying to push that kind of stuff through. Yeah, because that's going to solve crime, the crime issue. Because, you know, the people just steal guns. They don't have to pay the tax. The people who are buying ta- buying guns legally, they, they have to pay a tax. But the people who steal guns, they don't pay any taxes. They don't pay anything. So it's ridiculous. So, all that being said, uh, just rambling on here, continuing to ramble on. We have uh, this Bob Menendez case. Something weird is going on here. Uh, the deep state is not protecting him at this point. Now, part of my theory on this is that they are probably going to use this as a demonstration of saying, see, we're going after everybody who's, they're using him as an example. He's the fall guy in this whole thing. Something has happened and they're they're conniving something behind the scenes. Otherwise, they wouldn't even be touching him at all. Now, um, and there there are several people who've on the Democrat side who have stepped up and asked for his resignation. And it's kind of weird. It's just, it's, it's very bizarre right now. Why aren't all of them stepping up and asking for his resignation? Because there's, maybe there's a handful, I think maybe, maybe a dozen, maybe not, not even a dozen probably, uh, Democrats who have stepped up and asked for his resignation. Says it's saying he should resign. I, I think it's an opportunity for them to look like they're not a hypocrite, which we, they already are, but that's, they're trying to, trying to get around that. Now, the same time all that is going on, we have Hunter Biden, who now is going after individuals suing people. I think he's suing Rudy Giuliani. Basically saying that he 
he's suing Rudy Giuliani for exposing his laptop, stuff on his laptop, for, I guess defamation or something, because he, he was, how was it? He, he, he's suing him for showing stuff from his laptop and defaming him. And yet Hunter Biden will not admit that that's a laptop. It, it seems a little odd to me that someone who, I don't know if, I don't know if that's my laptop or not. I don't know. I don't know if that's mine or not. He was asking an interview straight out uh, from, I think it was MSNBC. Somebody was asking him a question. Might've been Crystal. What's her name? Asked the question. And is that your laptop? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. It could be. I don't know. It may, may not be. I don't think it is. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. But you're going to sue somebody for showing pictures and, and stuff from the laptop that you don't know if it's yours or not. That seems a little odd to me. Now, speaking of cases where there's bad witnesses, uh, this, uh, what's her name? Oh, I've got it here somewhere. Cassidy Hutchison. Cassidy, Cassidy Hutchinson. Hutchinson? Hutchinson. Stand there. Hutchinson. This is the gal who came out for all day long, kept saying something to the effect of, something to the effect of. Again, I'm going to revert back to my ability to uh, analyze voice, vo vocal tone. Uh, that coupled with body language, this woman is lying through her teeth. First of all, just on its face, okay, let's just say, okay, this is a witness who supposedly had all this information about Trump. We call her clavicle girl because she, she claims that there's this story. Now, she wasn't there. This is what she heard other Secret Service people say. So she, she must just hang around with all the Secret Service individuals all the time. They're making her out to be some, oh, she was just trying to get through the week with her paycheck and going out to get a, a, an outfit that she could wear for, she was having, to, like she was barely making it, this poor little girl, making her out to be this sweet, innocent little, you know, a couple months before this, <clears throat> this incident, she worked for the, for the Trump administration. She wouldn't have, they would have just cussed her out and sworn at her and spit on her probably because she was a Trump administration person. She was, she was apparently an assistant to Mark Meadows. Now, Mark Meadows, uh, I don't think, uh, would give her the time of day. Uh, he, it was one of those deals where he, she was an assistant in his office. And he, he probably knew who she was, but I, I know it sounded like she would walk into the room. If he, was, if he was on his phone, he wouldn't even look up. It, you know, he, it wasn't the kind of thing where she walked in the room and he, he you know, stood up and said, what's going on? It was kind of... No, she was, she was a, basically an administrative assistant. She was kind of some kind of a secretary, basically. Now, she uh, supposedly was hanging around Secret Service people all the time. And I've got some suspicions here about some things. But she was hearing these stories, supposedly hearing these stories. And supposedly, Donald Trump reached up through the security barrier in the, in the beast, what they call the beast, the uh, presidential limo, somehow was able to reach up there and grab this guy who was driving by the clavicle. And then he grabbed a hold of the steering wheel. 
Now, I don't know if you've seen Trump or not. He's not exactly the most physically fit person in the, in the individual in the world. He's, he's, you know, he gets around pretty good for a guy his age, but he's, he's not exactly, uh, he's not exactly a gymnast. Okay. So, so we're, we're he's he, supposedly he's able to reach up and grab the steering wheel. Now you think about that. But that's what he did, supposedly, according to, according to her. Something to the effect of. And he's, he's of course, he's cussing them out, doing all kinds of stuff. She was never there. This is all secondhand hearsay. And the January 6th commission treated her like she was telling the, the truth, like she was there on, at the, on the spot and saw the whole thing. Her testimony would never have been allowed in a court of law. There would have been objection after objection in that situation because of the adversarial system that we have. There was no adversary there. There was no, there was no one there in the defense of Trump. It was just, then he said there was something to the effect of he did this and he did that. And the whole time she's talking, I don't know if you notice this or not. This, people don't really notice this kind of thing in the subtleties in certain, certain people's voices. Like my voice today is just, you know, it's just crappy. That's because that's what it is. She has very little inflection in her voice as she's ta- telling these stories. If you look at someone who's reading a cue card, who, who has a hard time or they're telling you a story or reading a story to you from a book. Some people are really, really bad at doing that. She's really, really bad at doing that. And she, it's all, uh, it's, I call it, it's a very bad portrayal as she's telling these stories. And she went on and on all day long with this stuff. And it was, it was just one thing after another. Um, so to me, it was obvious that she was just saying this stuff for who, know, who knows what reason. And this, this is where the whole spaghetti against the wall story came in. She, never, she didn't see, the, see Trump throw his plate of spaghetti up against the wall. But supposedly someone came in and saw that there was a, someone was cleaning up spaghetti or cleaning up something off the wall. And apparently, you know, Trump had thrown his plate of spaghetti. The whole thing, the whole thing. Well, she said something to the effect of this or something to the effect of that. Uh, now, there's, there's so many things. I'm not an expert on body language. All I'm telling you is the way she was speaking, the tone of her voice and the things she was saying, the way she said it. Um, this is deception. Now, uh, I, I saw a body language ghost, uh, or body, it's, it's this channel called Body Language Ghost. It's just this body language expert who is, doesn't, she's the only one I trust, basically, on body language stuff. Um, she did an analysis of the, the whole thing, or parts of what she spoke on. It becomes very obvious that there is deceit going on. Uh, it's the way she holds her head, especially when she's talking. 
the way she's speaking very, she's very, very, um, what's the word? Uh, very controlled and very, uh, cautious. And, and that along with the, the way she says things, uh, and there just no, the, the content of, a, of the whole thing in and of itself. Keep in mind, this is a person who didn't witness any of the things she's talking about. She never saw any, The only thing she talked about that she did see was when she walked into Mark Meadows' office. Mark Meadows was on his phone. And she said something to him, and he ignored her. That's the only time that she was actually there to witness something that she talked about happening. And there was a, there was a, that was a non-thing. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, no, no, it wasn't there. You know, she made something out of it. She, she said something about, well, he, you know, he, he was so busy, he didn't really care. He was like he was, he was playing a video game or something. She made it sound like he was just playing a video game on his phone and didn't, didn't care. <clears throat> now, what was weird about this is... Everything else she talked about was something that someone else said to the effect of. Which is just bizarre. They're giving her so much. Now, now here's, here's what happened. Now that she's, she's back on the trail again being interviewed because she has a million-dollar book, book deal. Gee, isn't that interesting? So you're, you're telling me less than a year after all this happens, and you're the darling child of the big... You know, bombshell witness that the January 6th commission has. And all of a sudden you have a million dollar book, book deal. A million dollar book deal. She's changed the course of history, according to some of these people who've interviewed her lately. She'll be on a book tour. She's going to be MSNBC, CNN. They're all going to be parading her around as the one who brought down Donald Trump. And there's no there's absolutely no content. There's no substance to anything she said. But to them, it feeds into their narrative and their, this idea. The last night I was out to dinner and there was, we were actually in the lounge area because it was the quickest way to get in, get some supper. And there, there was a television playing behind me. <clears throat> My wife is always real big on, you know, she likes to watch stuff behind me or look at stuff and see stuff behind me that I can't see. She's constantly pointing out, oh, there's this, there's that, there's, oh, there's, look at that over there. Well, there's, they have one, I'm constantly turning my head around. Now, there was a television over her shoulder. I, I didn't want to kind of constantly keep telling her what was on the television over there. It was just a football game or something. I don't know what's going but, but she kept po pointing out this news thing behind me. I, I looked, turned around, looked at the news, with, of course, the banner on the bottom. All it said was, you know, Donald Trump, again, accused of fraud, and apparently committed fraud so many times, and... Uh, he's caught, he's caught red-handed now committed, committing fraud. Now what they're, what they're getting at this whole fraud case thing, what they, all they're talking about is, oh, it's fraud, fraud. He's a fraud. He's a fraud. They're going after him now because he's a fraud. Here's the deal. This, this is what happened. This, this is whole, the whole fraud case that they're talking about. This is what, this is what happened. Donald Trump went to a bank to get a loan for his buildings and for his real estate stuff. He put on the on his forms, what the building was worth, that he was getting a loan on, what, you know, what the thing he was trying to finance. The bank loaned him money. They're claiming that Trump lied and the, and the properties weren't worth that much. Now, I don't know, I don't know how, about you, but when you go to get a loan, 
it's kind of on the bank to determine whether or not the property is valued properly and they're going to loan you the money on it. If I walk up to the bank right now and say, hey, I've got this property and it's worth, it's worth uh, $200 million. Can you give me a loan on that? Oh, yeah, sure. We'll give you a loan. So, so, so you're serious? It's worth $200 million? Oh, yeah, it's worth $200 million. Yeah, it's worth, that's, that's what it's worth. Yep, 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 yep. And maybe it's worth $100,000. Uh, that's on the bank, believe it or not. That's, that's not your problem. Or it's not my problem. It's, that's, that's their problem. If they want to loan me $200 million on a $100,000 house or building property, whatever it is. Because they did not do their due diligence. Sometimes they will have their own appraisers. Or you have to go to an independent appraiser to get the, the property appraised. This is the way real estate works. The banks don't just up and loan you money because you say you're worth something. Oh, we'll take your word for it. Yeah, that sounds like a great bank place to put your money. I, I, I want to I put my money in that bank. There's a, there's a guy named Joe Brown. Uh, he has, has a channel called Heresy Financial. And it is really good. He is, I cannot, usually he's talking over my head. I'm not a financial counselor, but this guy is. He's, he, I think he actually has a financial counseling uh, certification. He's really good. And he, uh, he talks about this kind of stuff. Basically, when you, when you deposit your cash in a bank, you are lending them money. It is considered a loan to them. Now, I, I'm in a savings and loan uh, credit union. Savings Credit unions used to be very different than they are now. Credit unions used to be, um, well, they used to do some things like what I, what I was doing with my little financial, my, my, uh, back in the day. Now, the things have changed now, I think since, since 2011. Uh, since, since 2001. I don't think I could do what I did back in the, in the 90s with my investment company. I'd have to have some, some kind of certification, probably some kind of oversight. But it's because of 9-11. But now, uh, I, but maybe I, I, certain states I think would still allow it, but, it, but you, have to, you have to be really careful with this stuff. Now, the, um, what, what they can do, the savings and loan, what they do is they can take in money and then they can sell, and then you put your money in a CD or whatever it is. Well, they, they can use that money. When you put your money into something that's locked in for a certain amount of time, they can actually use that, those funds for other things. That's why they can pay you more interest on, that, on, that, on those funds. And that locks it in for them to know that I can, we can, you know, they can invest in that bank, then can invest in some, loan money out you know, to a higher degree based on, because they're, they're usually using, a percentage is called, it's called, what is it called? Affir, uh, something that's called, starts with an A. Uh, affirmating lending or whatever it is. They're, they're using basically fractional, fractional lending. So they, they might have, say someone, they have a whole bunch of uh, people bring them money and they've got a million dollars in the bank. And they, or say, let's say a hundred million. Let's say they have a hundred million dollars in the bank and a hundred people bring them a million dollars each. So they have a hundred million dollars in the bank. Well, what they do with that is, then is they take those, that money and some, somebody comes to them for a loan, they'll say, yeah, we can, can loan you some of this $100 million. We'll loan a million dollars here and a million dollars there. And we're going to charge you X amount of dollars on that. On that. But now the house that they're going to buy or whatever the property they're, they're going to buy, they, the bank then says we have the right to that property. So in other words, they have to sign, you have to sign the mortgage, the lien holder on that, on that property. So that property is not really yours. 
it really belongs to the bank. So any time they can come in and swoop in and take it. So they're, they're taking now most times at any given time, the percentage of people who want their want cash out of the bank is about nine percent. It's actually less than that, a lot less than that now. But it, it's it's I think they have to protect it about nine percent of their funds. So <clears throat> let's say it's ten percent. So they have to keep a list, at least a million dollars in the bank in case anybody wants to withdraw some funds. So what they do then is they can loan out that other $99 million. And now they're charging X amount of dollars in percentage of, oh, you know, say they've got a 4, 4% interest rate that you're paying, that those people are paying to, for all, all those houses. So now all those houses out there that have loans on them, the bank basically owns all those. There's a, say there's 99 banks out there, or 99, 99 properties out there now that the bank owns because of the money that people put into their bank. Then they can sell off those loans. They can take that loan, that, that asset, because it's, it's, say this person's going to pay over the next 15 years, they're going to pay X amount of dollars per year, and they're going to pay, you know, it's, they can take, take that loan, it's worth X amount of dollars, because by the time they pay all the interest on that million-dollar property, they're going to end up paying $1.5 million or whatever it is. So they're going to pay for that. They take that, that loan, and they sell it off to another bank. That bank then gives them a million dollars, $1.5 million. Now they got a half million dollars in the bank that the bank, the bank now has made their money right off the top. They you know they sell it for at a discount. So now the other bank now has bought in, bought that based on the futures of the next 15 years. They're going to end up, that's it's, it's called speculative. It's called, it's called some kind of, there's, there's a name for that kind of a loan. Now some banks will keep it in-house, some, some won't. Farm, uh, this, most of the, Small, small farm uh, credit unions will typically keep as much in-house as they can, but they will sell it out occasionally. This was kind of exposed during COVID because they had all this stuff where people weren't paying their mortgages and they were getting away with it. And nobody knew who really held the, mor- the mortgage. They were having a hard time finding out who really hold- held the mortgage. Now, you'll still make your payments through that bank that you bought, got the loan from, but they don't actually, then they pay off. But those, those payments are basically going to them directly. But nobody really knows who's holding the, holding the deed sometimes. Sometimes that, sometimes that gets lost because that, that secondary bank will sometimes sell off that in a group of things called junk loans off to someone else. They just keep selling them off. They can't have a hard time finding their way back. So all the money you're paying to the bank is going to the bank. Now, it's, it's a screwy deal. Now, I think credit unions have a little bit harder time doing that especially if it's a member-owned credit union, which the credit union I belong to is. Members have a, have a choice. to, to have, But there are still certain regulations. They've really cracked down on savings and loans. This happened during the savings and loan crisis back in, the, I think it was in the 80s or 90s. I think it was in the 90s. And, of course, they then changed the rules and made, made savings and loans basically operate more like banks because there was all this fraud going on with savings and loans. Scared everybody, so they made them we need to crack down and have more regulation on them. That, so that's so basically they're turning them into banks. Now, because of that, uh, it's almost questionable whether it's even worth putting your money into a, a savings loan or a credit union. Now, because of the issues, basically you're just dealing with a bank. They have the they, they operate the same way now, pretty much. It used to be if I, if I would cash a check, especially if it was a check 
drawn on a another member within the credit union, my I could use those funds immediately. I could cash them completely and use those funds immediately. Recently, I cashed a check or I deposited a check. It didn't show up on my on my account for several days. I was a little bit upset about that because I have more than enough money in my account to cover the check. But they couldn't, they couldn't, uh, and, it, and it was drawn on a check. It was a check drawn on, on another member from St. Bank. So I, so I was like, uh, why, why can't I draw the money out now? Now, I could have cashed the check, but I walked him and said, I want, I want that much cash. But it would have come out of my account, and I would not have seen that balance change again until that ch- check had gone through. Really weird. It didn't used to be that way. Well, I have just finished my chai, which you know what that means. I have my backup cup here to get me through the last part of this. So a lot, a lot of rambling. Uh, tomorrow morning there will be a show. <clears throat> I'm sorry I didn't get a live show in today. I really had, had hoped I could do that, but I knew that with my voice the way, the way it was, I might have to pause quite a bit. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be able to try, try to think around with you know, doing anything like that. <clears throat> so I, I do apologize for that. Tomorrow morning I might, I'm, I might have a live show tomorrow, but I, I kind of doubt it. Now, next Monday morning, uh, very possible that I might have a live show. I will have a show on Monday morning. However, the rest of the week is going to be very questionable. Uh, I will be traveling all week next week, starting on Monday. Um, Monday, late day, late in the day, late morning, I should say. Uh, the rest of the week, um, very possible that I may be uh, not have any shows other than Monday. I, I would think I would be able to squeeze a show in at some point during the week but it is very questionable as to when uh, it is very possible that I may be gone the whole week. So, um, and I, and I may not have enough hours in a day to, to do what needs to be done. All I can say is it's going to be a very long, uh, difficult week next week. So because I have one day basically home. I'm going to be uh, possibly traveling uh, tomorrow through Saturday. I'm not sure where I'm going to end up. Hopefully getting done early enough on Saturday. Uh, I've got Sunday that I'll be doing some things around the house. I've got to play drums for a, a church uh, here in the community. And then, uh, and then Monday morning I'll be home until I get the show done and I'll probably be heading out. And then that'll be basically one day off <clears throat> and then there I go. Hopefully this, this whole cold thing will be all over with. And uh, whatever I've got, I don't know, it's, it's, I think it's basically it's just a sinus infection. This time of year, I tend to get them quite a bit, and I think that's just what I've got. So, having said that, uh, just, again, tomorrow morning, I will, I will probably have a show, uh, most likely, if everything goes well. Uh, and I, I do appreciate everyone's prayers uh, for my health, if you would... Uh, get a chance to do that. That'd be great. The, um, and I'll, uh, you know, we just need to pray for each other and pray for our nation, pray for our leaders. <sighs> pray without ceasing. Uh, that's, that's what the, that's what we've been told. So uh, there's this thing about, um, unifying our, our, our nation, our communities. Um, it starts on a smaller level than just some kind of national movement. It, it's going to take grassroots movements, I think, to keep people uh, connected and together. And it's important. I think it's important that we stay civil with each other, uh, be able to have disc, you know, discourse as well as uh, just communicate with each other and continue to keep things 
moving forward. <clears throat> because that's really what, at the end of the day, it's kind of this iron sharpens iron thing. And we kind of work with each other and, and help each other understand each other. And uh, that's what it's all about. The, um, <clears throat> in the end, folks, thanks for listening to my voice all, all morning. I'm about ready to give up. <clears throat> God bless. Have a great day. Have a great week. <laughs>